Blog Talk Radio. turned down. Um, anyway, this is the Reverend John St. Germain. Welcome to episode 180 of the uh, Crystal Silence League show. And uh, we made it this far. I don't know about where you are, but man, is it hot here. Um, it's hotter than the brass hinges of Hades here in Knoxville, Tennessee. And the humidity is just amazing. Uh, oh my goodness, it's uh, the humidity is so high. You go outside and then you have a uh, your shirt is uh, it clings to your body like saran wrap. It's it's just incredible here. And all winter long, I whine and moan about the cold, and I say, "Oh, I can't wait until spring and summer. I can't wait till spring and summer." So I'm not I'm not going to complain about it. I am not going to complain about it. But it is hot and humid here. And uh, tonight's show, we're going to talk about um, more tales of the terror. We're going to talk about the hermit, in fact. And um, the mythology and stories about the hermit. And our stone of the night is a prenite. Have you ever heard of prenite? It's a P-R-E-H-N-I-T-E. We bring you the stones from the very bottom of our bag of tricks, the very back of the closet. Everybody knows about amethyst. Everybody knows about rose quartz. But my goodness, we bring stuff out. Most people, they think we make it up. You know, They think we just make this stuff up. We get a piece of gravel and spray paint it turquoise you know or magenta and say hey yeah this is a magnetotype and just make this stuff up but no these are real stones that we come up with so that's us the crystal silence league i'm the reverend john st germain from knoxville tennessee you're an amiable host into this weird corner of the internet where we uh we started the show a few years ago on a whim, I got a call one night from our producers. Of course, uh, Lucky Mojo Curio Company is our producers. And they said, how would you like to be the voice of the Crystal Silence League from Out of the Silence? And I said, well, okay, I don't really have time for that, but I'll give it a try. And I thought maybe it would last a few shows, and then I'd be off the hook. But I've been on the hook now for several years, 180 shows. And my son said, are you going to be able to talk for an hour for a long time? And I said, son, do you know me? He goes, oh, yeah, okay. And so someone said, "Um, how are you going to do uh, readings with just the Major Arcana? Because a friend of mine put out some new cards, and he just did that Major Arcana. And I said, I can do an hour on each of the Major Arcana. They said, oh, you got to be kidding. I said, no, I can't. I can talk an hour about each card of the major arcana probably longer he said I, i'm said, you, you're exaggerating I, I i dare you to do that so someone dared me to do it and so now you have this current series which will be 21 shows long i'm not going to talk about the whole deck i could i could talk about all 78 cards of the major arcana including well 79 the blank card that comes with it and i could talk about the instruction card and i could tell you about the little white book for two or three hours i could and and the uh the case it comes in and the company that manufactured it and uh, uh, the store that you bought it from and the people who work there. 
I could, I could indeed. I could. Just like I'm talking now about virtually nothing. This could be a show about nothing. So why don't we talk about the Crystal Silence League? Uh, this was founded around uh, 1917, we believe, by Mr. Claude Alexander Conlon, a magical adept, for the purpose of radiating positive prayer and affirmation for all those who ask, who needs it. He would, they would send in postcards or slips of paper that he distributed, sometimes with a question, for the purpose of uh, getting a reading sometimes. Sometimes they just had a prayer, and these would come to him in huge mailbags. And sometimes when he was a, uh, a state, did stage demonstrations in vaudeville, they'd pour these onto the stage, and he would put, place his crystal ball on top of the stacks of postcards and letters. And he would pray and radiate these positive affirmations. And when he retired to become a... Um, a private consultant for the rich and famous, he continued to operate the Crystal Silence League until his death in uh, 1954, at, at uh, the advanced age of his 80s. And so we continued the uh, tradition, adepts of the Association of Independent Spiritual Churches online, starting around 2007, something like that. And, uh, you can find us online at www.crystalsilenceleague.org. And if you go there, you'll find many things, uh, including a gift shop where you can buy crystals. And you can get our literature. And we have several books uh, involved the Crystal Silence League. Uh, my book, Crystal Magic, about the Reverend John St. Germain. My other book, Lithomancy, how to do magic and reading with stones. And our latest book, Secrets of the Crystal Silence League, which combined all the literature that we used to have into one book and expanded um, by our founder, Claude Alexander Conlon, which will teach you all you need to know about the four branches of um, crystallomancy, which were pioneered by our founder, uh, Mr. Conlon. And if you buy $12 worth of any merchandise, from our gift shop, you get a copy of that book free. It's a $10 book, or you can buy the book, you know, for $9. I think it's a $9 book. Or you get it free if you buy a $12 crystal ball or combination of crystals adding up to $10. It's a great deal. But do go to www.crystalsilenceleague.org. We're always working on that website, making it more friendly. There's also an archive of the newsletter that I used to edit. And it's on hiatus right now. We have several have several years, though, of back issues archived there for your uh, reading pleasure. Our crystal of the week, by the way, is a prenite. It's a pale yellowish-green stone, often uh, semi-transparent, often has inclusions of other uh, minerals in it. And uh, this uh, tends to harmonize with the third and fourth chakras, since it's yellow and green. Sometimes you'll see areas of it that are yellow and it banded yellow and green. And um, this is a very special stone. It will uh, help with clarity. It will help with focus. If you feel scattered, uh, it's a very good stone to carry with you, by the way, um, for um, Mercury retrograde. And um, it... Um, it's a very hard stone, so you can make a elixir of it, just drop it in the water and uh, let it go. I don't like to do direct infusions with elixirs, by the way, anymore. I always contain the stone in something, like a vial uh, you know, or a bottle with a screw top, and I put it in the water itself and let it infuse in sunlight or moonlight. Um, this is very good. Um, if, if you've been through a series of events... Uh, you feel punchy, you feel scattered, uh, your concentration is uh, affected, uh, you feel confused, and you can't seem to uh, create a unity uh, in your mind, your spirit. Uh, it's all going in different directions. Uh, you don't have a sense of purpose. This is a very good stone to work with while you meditate and uh you want that lip, that uh, fog of confusion to lift from your mind. There are some workers who say, 
they like to work with their patients who are experiencing uh, early signs of dementia. We don't recommend stones as a replacement for medical treatment by any means. Uh, sometimes crystals and stones are good spiritual support for those undergoing medical procedures. And that's the most I'm going to say about that. Uh, and the elixirs can help if you drink them or apply them to your uh, chakras, many people say. And that's that's our stone, Rob Franite. If you go to www.crystalsilenceleague.org, I'm really pushing that website tonight, and you go to the prayer request page, you'll notice we have lots and lots of prayers. You can go back quite a way, you know, several years, and read these prayers. Uh, we don't suggest you pray for people who put prayers up you know, two years ago who are trying to find a job. We get annoyed emails from people who say, people are still praying for me from last year. If it seems appropriate, yes, but um, usually what they do is they'll ask me to go in there and remove them, and then I have to go sifting through these prayers since they don't remember when they put them or they don't remember the prayer ID. And uh, they can't, they don't want to go find them themselves, and then I have to go find them. Sometimes I spend a couple hours looking for some of these prayers. So don't do it. Please don't do it. But you'll notice we do have prayers. And sometimes we get 100 to 200 prayers a week posted. And we pray for them. And when someone prays for you, they click the little button that says pray and send email. And you'll get an email that said someone prayed for you. And that's just really nice. Uh, I, I put a couple of prayers up when, uh, uh, you know, for friends and family members who are going through hard times. And I'd get a little email that said someone prayed. So isn't that, isn't that great? So I'm going to start praying for some folks, and you're welcome to join me, and I encourage you to join me. And if you have crystals, balls that you pray with, by all means, uh, pray with your crystal balls as I do. And I will start now. Prayer ID 84221. And she says, I have been waiting for reconciliation and forgive each other. Peace for us. Help us. Let go of our hurt. And she says, please take away his stubbornness, anger, pride, and temptation." And keep him away from other women or distractions that intervene divinely in our relationships and renew our love as couples. Let him remember how much he loves me and wants to still spend the rest of his life with me and raise a family. So reconcile this relationship that was on its way to marriage. Revive his feelings stronger and deeper than ever before. Help me lose weight as I don't want to lose him as I am fat. Oh, come on now. Let us stop fighting and start talking again. Amen. You know, some men like curvy women. They sure do. Some men like curvy women. Also, I would add, all, all benevolent spirits, higher powers, etc. Make this man keep it in his pants. Amen. Prayer ID 84220, who says, Please, Heavenly Father, bless me with messages and Oh, with massages and clients that tip well so that I may assist my family financially in Jesus' name. Amen. Prayer ID 84218, who says, In need of prayer that God may miraculously bring healing to myself, to my papa, and to my uncle. Please pray with me. Amen. Prayer ID 84217, God uplift BJ so he makes the right and goes back to the path, right decision and goes back to the path of light and he finds his true self again and love and finds the courage to pay me for the years past. Amen. This woman wants BJ to pay her. Prayer ID 84216. Oh, this is a repeat. Why do we have that prayer twice? Prayer ID 84215. I have a date today with this individual whose initial is J. Please, Lord, that is today. Please, Lord, let him be the one for the rest of my life. Amen. Oh, you don't even know this guy. This is your first date. You don't even know this guy. Don't, don't get ahead of yourself. Prayer ID 84214. Oh, Lord have mercy. My landlord has won an eviction case against me today. I have nowhere to go. I have no job. I've been out of work for eight and a half months. 
I have been praying so hard and looking so hard for a job and nothing. I can't even get a job as an Uber driver. I've applied to over 700 jobs at this point and nothing. I finally had a great interview on Monday. Please pray for them to make me an offer. I'm in desperate need of a job. My family and I are about to be homeless. Please pray for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Prayer ID 84213. Urgent need. RM Sr. is delivered from pneumonia today in Jesus' name. He's an elderly man and not responding to antibiotics. He has an active, happy life and too much living to do still. Amen. Prayer ID 84212. Please pray that my grandchildren will be able to stay home with me until their parents are both clean and sober. They can be home with us safe and happy. In the Lord's name, I ask this, that here in the safety of our home, they will be home. Amen. Prayer ID 84211. Kyrie Eliasson. I'm going to receive a biopsy and examination of the colon and also the prostate next week. Basically, the end of June. Please pray for my health and my situation. I'm 72 years old and may be approaching death. Christ Christe Eliasson, our Father, have mercy. Amen. Forgot my Latin. Prayer ID 84210. Oh, no, that's a repeat. That's a repeat. Some of these are posted twice. I need to go ahead and clean that up. Prayer ID 84208. Father, have mercy on us. Heavenly Father, forgive our sins. Me, daughter, husband, no more strength to fight the devil. Have mercy on me and my daughter. Shower your blessings of wisdom, good health, protection on my daughter. Protect me and my daughter from all evil, illness, infection. Heal our mind, body, and soul. Heal my fingers. Control my husband's anger. Destroy all evil plans. Thank you, Father. You will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Prayer ID 84207. Thank you for my many blessings. May all families enjoy the safety and love we enjoy. And may I be service to our community. Amen. Prayer ID 84206. Please pray for me that I have protection from danger and liability, preservation and prompt growth of finances and assets, and healthy, happy, long life in retirement. I'm going through a difficult and daunting time right now. I would appreciate strong spiritual help to get me through and beyond it or for any more that may come. I continue to have much gratitude for what I have had, have now, and what is to come. Thank you very much, everybody. I really appreciate it. Blessings. Amen. Prayer ID 84204. Remove the physical plague. I cannot get rid of this itching that has been constant the last few weeks and believe it is a woman who is angry at her partner for chasing me a couple of months ago. And she has financially cursed me in the past. Please help end this plague of constant itching and insects in my home that has come about since a couple of weeks after he came chasing me and professing his love for me and she found out. I'm not reciprocating his actions or feelings, so I don't deserve the cursing. Please free me. Amen. Oh, honey, you need to see a, a, a root worker. You need to get uncrossed. Prayer ID 84203. Please pray that DG and GG will be exposed to the evil ways. They claim to be sick and never work. Please pray they will be found out. Amen. Unmask this evil, sir. Prayer ID 84202. I pray that my boyfriend's love for me grows and that he desires me. I pray that he wants to be with me and that he needs me and misses me when I'm not there. I pray that the fire of love burns in his heart for me. Amen. Let's let's go over here and why don't we say a, say some prayers and have some silent Where's my stuff? Here it is have uh, some silent prayer and meditation for all those in need of comfort, support, and affirmation.
Amen. Well, as promised, we're going to talk about the hermit tonight. Trump number nine in some decks, in most decks, as also we have discussed in the past. Not all decks have the same order, um, interestingly enough. Uh, the the trumps are not in a fixed order. This is not written in stone like the alphabet or uh, the numbers 1 through 10. And not everybody knows that. Not everybody knows the order of the deck of cards with which they read. I found this very interesting. And uh, it's also very interesting when people do memorize say the Rider Weight deck. You know, and they'll say, Oh, number ten, Wheel of Fortune. Well, uh, not always. Not always. Not in every deck, as we learned last week. Um Arthur Edward Waite exchanged strength and justice for reasons um Clear, made clear only to him, and uh, we're not really sure why his uh, rationale that he wrote was not that not that clear. And if you learn a structured uh, method of reading, like the uh, the Fool's Journey with the Rider Waite deck, and then all of a sudden you pick up the Tarot of Marseille, where the uh, where strength and justice are in a different order, all of a sudden your uh, your structured script no longer makes sense. Or you pick up a um, an even earlier deck like the Visconti deck, you'll find several of them out of place. And not only that, but the names are changed. The high priestess is the papas, etc. So this is why I've I've advised against. Uh, learning things like the the fool's journey and uh, pat uh, storytelling things like this it's a uh, it restricts you it um, turns it into a script more or less and uh, um, makes your readings far more limited than if you Learn learn to do readings um, in a more uh, scholarly way, and then go from there. You learn what the cards are. You learn their stories, and let them tell stories to you, and then add your own stories as you grow from there, as you learn about the world and uh, how these cards relate to people. And this is just a, uh, a way to go. And I, I, I was talking to someone today about this, and I said the it's what's it's very hard to learn to do uh, good readings from a book, and almost impossible to learn from the internet. You do need some. You need a teacher, and like like it used to be done, you, and someone to look over your shoulder while you're doing readings and uh, critique you. Um, you can, it also helps if you have somewhere to be bad, or it doesn't matter if you're bad. And uh, I advised this young man, I said, if you can go into a bar and do free readings every night for a year, uh, this is very good. Just go in with a deck of cards and sit down and do readings for a year. And it doesn't matter if you're not that good. You'll get better. No one's paying you. And you're going to hear a lot of drunken stories uh, and most people are not going to remember what you told them the next day anyway. And you'll, you'll learn to get good. This is a very, it's the boiler room. This is the boiler room. You could go to psychic fairs. It's another similar um, environment. The psychic fair is the boiler room. Uh, people pay you $20 to do a 20 minute reading or a 15 minute reading. And most of them are there for entertainment, and it's not uh, – it's it's very hard to do any real harm um, at a psychic fair. You're not going to do much psychic damage, and uh, 
I, I'll go ahead and say it. Most people who read at psychic fairs aren't great anyway. And, uh, you know, if you see somebody doing uh, uh, readings from the Archangel Gabriel for $20, um, you know, or, or channeling uh, an alien from Alpha Centauri for $15 or $20, uh, you're not looking at Edgar Casey, right? So people come to psychic fairs for entertainment. Uh, some, some of them have never been to a psychic before. And um, the the bar is set very low, and uh, my uh, my real experience with being exposed to a lot of uh, different modalities of psychic readings weren't psychic fairs, and I still attend a local one. I twice a year I go to this local one, and we go to go to every one of these. You see the same regulars, and they're uh, always looking for something, some new experience, and. Uh, there are people that come to me uh, every. It, what, what am I going to tell them? You know, I see them only at the psychic fair, and they always sit down and say, "Oh, well, this, you know, tell me, uh, you know, what you see." And uh, I, I saw them six months ago, <laughs> and uh, I said, "You know, I'm here in town. You, you make an appointment and come by my little church. Yeah, I'll do that one of these days. You know, just want to sit here and they just want to sit there and talk a little bit." And I'll lay some cards down and tell them a few things that I see in the cards and we just have a nice little conversation and they get up and leave. So uh, you can find a place to be bad. And this is good for anybody in any craft. If you do portrait drawings, if you, uh, if you do card tricks, you know, whatever, whatever it is you do, find a place where you, where you can be bad and nobody's going to really uh, care about it. Um, and this is just one of the best pieces of advice I can give you as a uh, as a person who's going to uh, do readings. So let's talk about the hermit. In the Rider deck, in the Rider Weight deck, we see uh, uh, an old man with a beard, and uh, he's standing very upright, very straight. He's as straight as the staff he holds, and in a cloak, holding up a lamp, and the lamp has the six pointed star in it. And the six-pointed star consists of two symbols, the upside-down alchemical star or triangle, meaning water, and the right-side-up alchemical star, meaning fire. Here's fire and water combined. Once again, we see the duality of male and female. We see um, the uh, mind and body, or mind and spirit, and the life force, the, the nurturing force. Uh, with the uh, destructive force, we see opposites combined inside the hermit's lamp. We see the light that guides. The hermit is both the teacher and the guide. We see him for the first time now. We don't see the earth, the nurturing green earth. He's on a cold and barren mountaintop, which is... Uh, copacetic with the stories we hear about the hermit the hermit usually lives on in european tradition he is he is the european version of the uh eastern ascetic the the yogi who goes off into the uh, the woods uh, or the forest or in a cave or on top of the, the mountain you know the himalayan mountains of tibet where you find the yogis this is the the western version and here he is on this cold and desolate, featureless landscape. You can almost hear the wind whistling about him. Nothing, no trees, nothing to be seen for miles. He is utterly and completely alone. No animals, no birds in the sky, not even a cloud, no sun, no moon, nothing. This hermit, this truly does embody the very essence of solitude he is alone with his thoughts and that's what this means this is the utter introspection of mind this is going inside going inside he's not even looking at the lamp he's looking down at the ground he is looking at the ground now we had another card that talked about going inside and this was the high priestess the high priestess, though, said at the entrance of the temple, there, there was the temple with the columns and the veil, 
she was sitting inside. Oh, we, we have no columns here, no veil, no temple. No, no, there's nothing. This is nothing. This is this is the wasteland. And here we see the hermit in the wasteland. And, you know, there are poems written about this. There's literature about this. Uh, if you read T.S. Eliot's Wasteland, he speaks of desolation, of walking alone, of uh, the shadow. And who is this I see ahead of you? There are two of us, but a third walks ahead of us. Uh, you know, whose shadow is this I see? I show you, I show you fear in a handful of dust. All these um, uh, scary images of what happens when you walk in the wasteland. Um, we know Jesus went out into the wilderness for 40 days and nights to prepare himself um, for what he knew was going to happen. Um, then he came, you know what he did when he came back? What was the first thing he did when he came back? He performed, you can look it up, when he went out into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, he came back and he raised the dead. He made himself ready to do some pretty incredible things. So, and while he was there, of course, he faced temptation. There's a similar story about the Buddha. He went into the uh, wilderness, sat under a tree, um, and said, okay, I'm not leaving his tree until I'm fully enlightened. And he faced temptation, too, from Mara. Mara is the tempter in uh, Buddhist uh, uh, legend, who also faced Buddha with the three temptations. There was wealth, and there was sex, and there was also the, the uh, public opinion. He said, you know, people are going to think you're an idiot. They're going to think you're a fool, which was different from the temptations of Jesus, sort, sort of. Uh, uh, he was tempted you know, with comfort and wealth, and then Marah's beautiful daughters came and danced very sensually and naked in front of him. And then he said, you know, people are going to think you're an idiot. They're going to think you lost your mind. So they're going to mock you and revile you. And so public opinion. So what we know of the hermit is that he he goes off into the woods and quite often is seen as insane, but also what we know from medieval literature, the hermit was seen as a magical being filled with wisdom. If you look at the story of King Arthur, the quest for the Holy Grail, the Grail Knights would often leave civilization and go off on the, on their own, often by themselves. They became hermits on a quest and they would encounter a hermit off in the woods, and they would ask the hermit's blessing. They were seen as very holy people, and then the hermit would give them a clue. They would say, what you're looking for is down there, and they'd point in a direction, and the knight would go down there and often meet some kind of challenge they would have to overcome, and these challenges were of a uh, uh, a spiritual nature. They would be tempted or they would have to prove their worth to continue on the search of the Holy Grail. And the Grail itself is a very interesting uh, symbol. Uh, I've often wailed that people don't even know what it is. They'll say, well, I'm looking for the Holy Grail in uh, electronics. I'm looking for the Holy Grail of uh, harmonicas. I'm looking for the Holy Grail. So, as if this means the epitome of something. And if you read about the Grail legend, uh, you find interesting things about it. Uh, the Holy Grail was uh, a dish that did magical things. It has nothing to do with the quest for the Holy Grail. And uh, in some variations of it, it wasn't even a dish. It was a stone that produced magic food. That produced immortality. It was linked with the philosopher's stone. And uh, in the uh, Parsifal legend, in fact, the Holy Grail was uh, suspiciously like the philosopher's stone. It was a, a stone that gave the knights immortality and the ability to do uh, not uh, dotty and uh, peerless deeds of daring do. But it was a dish. And it got. Uh, identified as the uh, the dish at the Last Supper only later on in medieval literature. But it was a magic dish that provided food that was of a magic nature, and uh, it's a dish. The Holy Grail, Grail means dish. It doesn't mean a quest. And very rarely was it 
the object of a quest. It was it, later on it came to be, but um, it's um, not what it came to be, and it is often associated with hermits and guardians. And so a lot of times when we see, there was a lineage of of guardians of the Holy Grail, and they were hermits. They were entrusted with this. Um, so when we see the hermit in his lonely place, often he does have a magical object. And is that what we see with this lantern? Is that, That's not a flame in that lantern. That's some kind of magical object that casts a light. So what is it we want from this hermit? What are we looking for? What is it that he has? So um, this is a uh, very, very interesting to me. Um, I, um, um, I, I often ask myself uh, because many times um, um, I have looked at this and uh, um, I've asked myself, why is this um, um, not a flame but a uh, a magical object? And if you look in some iterations of the hermit, he's not holding it in front of them. The hermit has it concealed under his cloak, and it is a flame. So that is your hidden flame. That's the flame that's hidden inside of you. It's not something you hold in front of you. It's, it's the flame that's hidden within you. And if you look at the Tarot of Marseille, the hermit doesn't have a lantern at all. He, he is a monk or a holy man holding a sacred a piece of literature, a sacred document, which we would assume may be a secret doctrine of some sort or a magical doctrine, or maybe he's an alchemist. It's hard to say, but he could be the alchemist standing at the door of the furnace uh, with the secret of the, um, of the Holy Grail, of the, of the Grail, I won't say the Growl, the Growl, uh, the Growl Stone, the whole, the, uh, um, the philosopher's stone. Perhaps this hermit is the alchemist. There's nothing about that robe that says monk, really. Nothing about that document that says Bible. Perhaps he is the alchemist with the secret of immortality. So there's more to this card than meets the eye. It's more than you need time alone. You see, this is, this starts to become a, uh, looking for something you know this starts to be that there is something there that you might already have that needs to be polished and refined in the alchemist's forge we're starting to talk about the the, the search of the alchemist to refine the base the impurities into gold and if you know anything about alchemy at all, that wasn't literally turning lead to gold. That was refining the spirit into something pure and wonderful. And isn't, doesn't this describe what the yogi attempted to do when he left society, got rid of all of his things, took his bowl and his loincloth and sat under a tree, went into introspection and meditation, looked at his own mind, and said, whatever that's in there that is unwholesome and impure, I want to root it out, leaving nothing but the mind like fire unbound, consciousness without blemish. I'm going to find the perfect mind, and I will achieve enlightenment. We'll come back after station identification and go further into that. Media Alliance, whose excellent shows include the Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Root Work Hour with Catherine Ironwood and Conjurman Holly, Sundays 3 to 4.30, the Crystal Silence League Hour with John St. Germain, Tuesdays 5 to 6, Blue Flag Root Radio with Lady Muse, Fridays 4 to 5, and The Witch, the Priestess, and the Cauldron with Elvira Love and Phoenix Le Fay, Fridays 6 to 7. All time specific, add three hours for Eastern, sponsored by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com.
And we're looking at the Hermit. Now, remember, the Rider Waite deck was a uh, considered a tool of the Golden Dawn, these uh, esoteric schools. So we have to look at it in that context. So here we have the six-pointed star in the lantern. He's holding it up as a symbol, and he's got his magic wand. So if this is indeed an instruction into the uh, initiation into magic. We have to look at it like that. So what is the six-pointed star? Well, if it is the combination of fire and water, um, 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 we uh, we have to look at this, right? So um, if there is indeed a withdrawal into the inner world of spirit represented by the water, then fire must be the purging of the spirit. But water flows both ways, right? So once there's a withdrawal into the world of spirit, there has to be a consequential return back into the real world. Uh, there's, a, there's a saying in Zen, right? After enlightenment, the dishes. And, which I always thought was really cool. You know, before enlightenment, the dishes. After, enlighten, after enlightenment, the dishes. You always have to go back to the real world. There's no... Um, there's no escaping the real world you know even, even the buddha had to go to the bathroom and there's no escaping his physical world until such time as we die so even the most enlightened uh buddha has to sweep the floor do the dishes you know and, and clean his room so as we um, withdraw from the world and go into spirit there comes a time when we have to return to the world and deal with the realities and the minutia of our daily life. And this is, this could be what that reminds us of. Um, we can't lose ourselves inside. We can't withdraw so completely from the world that we lose it. And I will tell you that it's, um, uh, this is addressed in Buddhism. There's a point of no return. Uh, there are four stages of enlightenment that's discussed in uh, Theravada Buddhism. And the first step is called stream entry, um, sotapanna. You, you become a sotapanna. Stream entry, uh, in my opinion, is not that difficult to achieve. This is the first step of becoming an arhat, of becoming enlightenment. And it's uh, when you realize the true nature of self, when you realize not self, the true nature of self, and a, a couple of other things. You can still experience uh, things like anger and a few things but uh, when you begin to when you realize the true nature of self you become a stream you're in the stream and they say that you'll have no more than three uh, uh, rebirths before you reach full buddhahood now you can still exist in the normal world then there's uh, a second step um uh, once returner, I think. Then there's a third step, and they say by the time you reach this third step, you can no longer exist outside of a sangha. At that point, you pretty much have to take the robe and and live among monks. You can no longer live in this world. Um, I can tell you that. At one point, I was very close to that. I meditated for over two to three hours a day for a very long time. And at one point, I began to detach from uh, this world. And there was going to be a choice for me. I was either going to have to become a monk or back off. And obviously, I backed off. But I began to detach from this world. Nothing in this world uh, seemed to have any meaning for me. And it was not a depressing thing. It wasn't like that ennui. I just saw the futility of all human endeavor, everything. All human endeavor, it meant nothing. It was utterly futile. And I realized I was reaching that point where I was going to, if I continued down that path, I was going to have to take the robe and join the Sangha. And I saw that there was no, just no way to do it. And I want to give you a quote from, um, 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 
uh, a famous uh, a famous hermit uh, whose name was Milarepa. Uh, he was a uh, he, he's one of the most famous uh, uh, teachers um, in in all of Buddhism, uh, Tibetan Buddhism, and um, he uh, he was said to have lived um, in the uh, 11th century. And he was uh, born in a wealthy family like the Buddha, but unlike the Buddha, he experienced great misfortune. When his father died, his aunt and uncle stole all of his money and kicked him and his mother out the street. And his mother was so bitter that he that she uh, sent Milarepa off to study under a great sorcerer to learn magic for revenge, which he did. He became a great sorcerer, and he came back and killed a lot of people. And uh, he was very upset about what he did and uh, um, uh, he felt great guilt and sorrow so he left the village left his mom who now by now had the money back because aunt and uncle were crushed under the he caused the house to fall over and crush them and uh, he went off and studied under the great uh, um, uh, the great Marpa who was a uh, a Buddhist yoga? Well, Marpa felt that the boy had to do some penance, so he had him build a tower out of stone. Then he said, "Pull it down and build another one." And he did this with his bare hands, no tools. And it's like the skin on his back was to the bone from carrying these stones. He built the second one. Marpa said, "Tear it down and build another one." This took years. Then he built a third one, and that that tower still stands. The Milarepa Tower still stands, and it's meant to par- to purify his uh, karma from killing all these people. Well, then um, he uh, developed. Uh, he uh, meditated in caves for years, and after many years of practice, he developed uh, enlightenment. So uh, Milarepa became this great. Yogi, and uh, he uh, developed a spontaneous realization of the most profound nature of mind and reality. But what he's famous for is the hundred thousand songs in Milarepa. Anytime someone would ask him a question, he would spontaneously compose a song on the spot. And there are many, many great quotes about uh, attributed to him according to these songs. And uh, um, uh, a lot of these um, r- rang home to me. One one of the Milarepa songs uh, more or less says, uh, all worldly pursuits have but one unavoidable and inevitable end, which is sorrow. Acquisitions end in dispersion, buildings in destruction, meetings in separation, births in death. Knowing this, one should from the very first renounce acquisitions and storing up and building and meeting and faithful to the commands of an eminent guru set about realizing the truth. That alone is the best of religious observances. If one stays too long with friends, they'll soon tire of him. Living in such closeness leads to dislike and hate. It's but human to expect and demand too much when one dwells too long in companionship. The affairs of the world will go on forever. Do not delay the practice of meditation. Once you've met with the profound instructions from a meditation master, with single-pointed determination set about realizing the truth, because strong and healthy, who thinks of sickness until it strikes like lightning? Preoccupied with the world, who thinks of death until it arrives like thunder? Accustomed long to contemplating love and compassion, I have forgotten all differences between myself and others. I need nothing, I seek nothing, I desire nothing. So this is the... uh, uh, the realization of the hermit. And so we look at the hermit card. Is this what we see? Uh, a lot of people say, oh man, that's desolate. But no, 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 no. This is the height of realization. Um, the freedom. Here's the hermit with his staff and his, and his lantern, the lantern that holds the, the, the philosopher's stone. True immortality. And so what can we what can we say about the hermit? You know, why did you draw this card? Uh, and it says, you know, where are you going in life? Well, the hermit is just um, 
Trump number nine. We've got a lot to go, but the next one is the Wheel of Fortune number ten, and number ten is halfway through the um, the the line of the tarot. And if you line them up in a row and you say they're telling a story of evolution, which is what the Fool's Journey says, they say okay, they're they're arranged in order. They tell a story. Then the Wheel of Fortune is the turning point. All right, Trump ten, the Wheel of Fortune. So um, if if that's true. And I, I'm not saying it is. And in fact, I think it might be a, 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 I don't know, an enforced idea. When we look at the Wheel of Fortune, we see a very terrifying thing. Um, we see the uh, return to the world. That we see in the Wheel of Fortune, a very terrifying image that um, those who are raised to heights fall to fall low those that are that are low are raised high and there's not a lot of control for this this is just the wheel of fate and uh, is there any control over it well according to the hermits if you have nothing you lose nothing if you're attached to nothing you're you really fate has no control over you is this a desirable way to live um I, this is something that you really have to decide for yourself. We go to the top of the mountains, and in legends, do you know that even in dreams, when people dream of uh, of uh, hermits, they dream of old men with beards? And this is because of the patriarchal society and patriarchal training that goes back two thousand years. <laughs> you know, God is the old man with a beard, uh, right? Moses. Uh, uh, Jehovah, etc. These are all old men with beards. But in many legends, the hermit is also the old woman, the hag. And this is someone you go to to seek wisdom. And uh, do you know about the mage in the cave visualization? You uh, close your eyes and you imagine that you go into a cave and you find a magical object in the cave and there's a mage who tells you what to do with the magical object. It's an old visualization. You can probably find it you can look it up and uh, it's the hermit the, the hermit tells you what to do so um, the hermit is a representation of God in many myths um, so the hermit is our guide the hermit's our teacher when the hermit shows up uh, perhaps it's a spirit guide uh, you know perhaps the um, the the staff is the wizard the staff of the wizard uh, the the hermit can represent the magical being the alchemist the wizard um, so if we see the um, the hermit as an archetype um, we have to understand what an archetype is a lot of people see archetypes as these rigid fixed images. That are shared by all people at all times. Uh, unfortunately, this is something that has been uh, extracted from Jung and Joseph Campbell. That for, that we have these magical figures that all societies share at all times. That's not that's not true. Uh, this is part of the uh, uh, re-imaging of psychology that's been undergoing now. There's a re-examination of what has been accepted in psychology for like 50 to 100 years. There's reevaluation. Psychology is undergoing reevaluation. That a lot of these things just aren't true. And one of these uh, ideas that's being reevaluated is this whole idea of archetypes. There may not even be such a thing as archetypes. And there's no such thing as these rigid archetypes. Uh, the idea of archetypes had to be uh, universalists love it, but there had to be a lot of stretching to get it to fit. Um, uh, archetypes seem to be tendencies for the mind to form certain kinds of image, uh, such as you know, such as a guide. And uh, but the specific form of these images will depend very much on a person's cultural background and experience. The uh, which is what we see with the Holy Grail. In some uh, legends of the Grail, it's a plate. In some images, it's a cup. In some, it's a stone. We. Think of it now, like when you see it in movies, it's a golden cup or a cup that caught the blood of Christ. 
it was not always that in every legend. In some legends, it didn't have anything to do with Christ. It had nothing to do with Christ. And even some when it did, it was a plate. It was a plate that was ser- served food at the uh, Last Supper, had bread on it. So there are certain kinds of images. And when uh, scholars look at these things, it's it's very tempting to say, oh, look, here's a guide. 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 It's an archetype. So medieval grail initiations and Australian desert rites have patterns, archetypal patterns, but the outer form will vary quite a bit. So our our tendency to want to put things in categories can sometimes lead us to a great deal of error. And this is where we, we have to walk very carefully. So um, on the one hand, the hermit walks away from society, walks away from society, and goes inward. And on the other hand, it's guiding toward something. It's walking away and walking towards something. And we're not looking at this in terms of divinatory meaning, so we don't even, we don't talk about its reversal or anything, which is a uh, regression. It's a regression away from enlightenment, which is uh, you know what you know being foolhardy, uh, uh, going toward the very opposite of enlightenment, a descent into savagery, uh, into lust, into uh, um, foolishness. But um, we. Uh, we we look at this and deal with the situation. What what is the hermit teaching us that we have to quiet, go, go somewhere quiet? We have to even if it's not a physical quietness, but a place where we can hear our own thoughts and separate the garbage, the uh, the conditioning to the to the pure crystal mind, and then return to our uh, to the here and now. With clarity and wisdom, we have to find the source of wisdom, and that source of wisdom is not somewhere out there. It's somewhere inside. Well, that's all for this week, and once again, you wasted an hour uh, that you'll never get back in your life listening to uh, the Reverend St. Germain and Crystal Silence League, so we'll talk to you next week, and we are going to visit Trump 10 the halfway point, the wheel of fortune. And we'll see you then. You know the Reverend loves you. And we hope to see you again. And we'll talk to you next week.